0: Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The True God, One in Three and Three in One. Oh come let us worship him
1: Oh come let us sing unto the Lord let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto his is his also his is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land oh come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the lord our of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world. THE TRUE GOD, ONE IN THREE, AND
0: THREE IN ONE, O COME, LET US WORSHIP HIM. THE LORD IS THE STRENGTH OF HIS PEOPLE, AND HE IS THE SAVING STRENGTH OF HIS ANOINTED. SAVE THY PEOPLE, AND BLESS THINE INHERITANCE, FEED THEM ALSO, AND LIFT THEM UP FOREVER. UNTO THEE WILL I CRY, O LORD MY ROCK, BE NOT SILENT TO ME, LEST IF THOU BE SILENT TO ME, I BECOME LIKE THEM THAT GO DOWN INTO THE PIT. Hear the voice of my supplications, when I cry unto Thee, when I lift up my hands toward the holy oracle. The Lord is my strength and my shield, my heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise Him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. THE LORD IS THE STRENGTH OF HIS PEOPLE, AND HE IS THE SAVING STRENGTH OF HIS ANOINTED. SAVE THY PEOPLE, AND BLESS THINE INHERITANCE. FEED THEM ALSO, AND LIFT THEM UP FOREVER. The Old Testament lesson for the sixth Sunday after Trinity is written in the 20th chapter of Exodus, beginning at the first verse. God spoke all these things, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol, nor any image of anything that is in the heavens above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow yourself down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and on the fourth generation of those who hate me, and showing loving kindness to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. You shall labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work in it, you nor your son nor your daughter, your male servant nor your female servant, nor your livestock nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The Epistle is written in the sixth chapter of Romans, beginning at the first verse. Brothers, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. We who died to sin, how could we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will also be part of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be in bondage to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin, one time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Thus consider yourselves also to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. From everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, in Thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in Thy righteousness. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory be to Thee, O Lord. Jesus said, Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For, amen, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even one smallest letter or one tiny pinstroke shall in any way pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever shall break one of these least commandments and teach others to do so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall do and teach them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, there is no way you will enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the ancient ones, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I tell you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be in danger of the council. Whoever says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of Gehenna. If, therefore, you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly, while you are with him on the way, lest perhaps the prosecutor deliver you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and you be cast into prison. Amen. I tell you, you shall by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Here ends the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house, and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Christ says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if I asked any of you here in church, Are you good enough to get into heaven? I'm willing to bet nearly all of you, if not every single one of you, would say, No, of course not because that's how we're catechized. No one is good enough of themselves to enter heaven, and that is true. Yet, if we have conversations with people outside the church, and you're asked, is so and so a good person, you'd probably say yes. And if asked, if you yourself would like to be seen as a good person by other people, you'd certainly say yes. So why is there the contrast? Why is it in church we say we're not good, but then outside of church we're quick to call someone else good, or we desire to be seen as good by others? And to be fair, the answer could be rather simple. When we call someone good outside of church, we could just be saying he's easy to get along with, he's easy to talk to, he'll help you out, he's not mean. And the big one is he's nice. And often we want others to think the same of us. So when we say someone is good or we desire to be seen as good by others, we're speaking in terms of what we Lutherans call civil righteousness, that a person is righteous or seen as good before other men, and that can be the case. But often, as we call ourselves or others good, what can happen is we start to think just that, he's a just person in himself. We slip into that way of thinking. He's a just person in himself. I'm a righteous, righteous person in myself. It's easy to slip into. And then when we stop to consider, will this person enter heaven? We begin to think of how such a good person is good before men. That's what our thoughts first go to. And then we become dumbfounded dumbfounded and considering the possibility of how such a good person can't get into heaven, even though they're really, really nice. That's where we have kind of a cognitive dissonance. If such people are so good and nice among men, why wouldn't such people go to heaven? Whether that be ourselves or others. And to that our Lord says this morning, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is, what you think is good among men is not good enough. And so our Lord continues. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now the first thing to notice is, look who our Lord is speaking to. He's speaking to you and your brother. Your brother in the faith. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to the church, to us as a congregation, to you and your brother in this gathering, to those beside you in these pews. So the Lord is forcing us to look at and consider our relationships with our brothers in the church. And when our Lord speaks this way, he means this. You come to church. And you may think that you or others around you in the church are good because who have we murdered? Maybe, quite possibly, no one's been convicted of murder here because no one's been judged of murder in the court. In fact, we all seem to be nice to each other. So we think, I'm a good person here in church, and he's a good person here in church, and so on. And we begin to slip into that way of thinking. But here our Lord is looking deeper than just at your actions. He's looking here into our hearts and, and into my heart. He's listening to the words which our tongues speak, whether in public or private. And our Lord is saying, no, you haven't murdered anyone, not literally, But what about that anger you have in your heart towards your brother who sinned against you? What about the words of gossip you have uttered calling him a worthless, good-for-nothing fool? Yes, you're nice to his face, but then why do you wish him dead? Why do you wish him to be out of the church? That's really what our Lord is saying. So you may not have murdered anyone, I may not have murdered anyone, but hatred in the heart will leave a person liable to judgment, Christ says. Murderous words from our lips will still leave a person liable to the divine counsel and the hell of fire. He's looking deeper. Again, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, what you think is good among men is not good enough. What you think is nice isn't good or righteous at all. And there's that word again, nice. It's interesting how the word nice, as in be nice, always enters the conversation when we talk about people being good. Because nice seems to be the way that we measure how good someone is. So the more nice they are, the more good we think they are. But do you know where the word nice comes from? What it actually means? Nice as a word comes from the old Latin. It's an old French word as well. It was brought into the English. Over time it meant originally timid and faint-hearted. Then it meant foolish and ignorant. And finally, when it gets into English, it means agreeable. And That sounds great. Who doesn't want to be agreeable? But put Put the meanings of of this word all together, and you'll see what nice really means. It means to be agreeable in a timid and willfully ignorant sort of way. That is, it means to be agreeable at all costs, at the cost of Christian doctrine and belief, at the cost of truth, at the cost of right convictions, at the cost of love, and even at the cost of a brother's soul. Be nice really means avoiding disagreements and arguments and confrontations at all costs so everyone can leave feeling good in that moment. You could say this is the rule of being nice, which is in the world. And we bring that rule of being nice from the world into the church with our brothers. And the rule of being nice then becomes how we treat our brothers when sin and anger come between us, which is what Christ is talking about. I've seen myself do this. I've seen people in every church I've ever been a part of follow this rule of nice. I've seen it here. I'm willing to bet that many of you are playing by the rule of nice right now even with sins between you and your brothers. And when the rule of nice is in play. This is what happens. Our brother sins against another, or one brother sins against another. Maybe he knows he sinned against his brother. Maybe he did it in ignorance and doesn't know. Either way, the brother who is sinned against becomes angry. And if you're sinned against and angry, and you're following the rule of nice, what do you do? Well, I just won't say anything. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I'll just let it be. And I'll just let it be really means I don't want to confront my brother about his sin. Because confronting someone on his sin wouldn't be nice or agreeable. Or it can also mean if I just let this be, let the sin and anger be, leave it alone, don't confront it, then maybe over time it'll just go away. Being nice is the rule that our flesh loves to follow. Just be nice. Just play ignorant to get along. Give in and be timid in front of a person who sinned against you. But here's the thing. Being nice doesn't remove sin. It doesn't heal division. It doesn't remove anger. It buries anger. And anger kept in us will rage against the brother who sinned against us. Our heart will rage against him. And it will come out often in words. Maybe words of gossip or words under our breath when no one is listening. Words meant to cut down and hurt the brother. And if we're honest about it, what is it that we think about our brother in anger? When we're angry at our brother, what do we think of him? Well, Christ nailed it. We think he's a fool. And in anger, what do we want to have happen to him? Well, we want him to disappear from our lives, from the church. We want him to be removed from Christ's forgiveness. And as people bury their anger, they later become consumed by it. But under the rule of nice, they can't actually confront people. The anger is never dealt with. So what do people in the church do when consumed by anger? Maybe they just live with it and come to church for decades, but they don't really listen to the word of God and what's being said or preached because the anger ruminates in their mind. Or they think that leaving one church for another will fix it. Church hoppers. Or they stop coming to church altogether. Being nice means not confronting the brother with their sin. But being nice can mean Letting go of the faith to avoid confrontation. And so we think we're good and we're nice, or desiring to be good and nice. But really what it leads to, what it leads to is tearing apart of a congregation and the ripping apart of a communion. Because when we avoid the brother who sinned against us, when we refuse to confront him and his sin, so that we may forgive him, and instead what we do is we live in our anger. Because we don't want to forgive. And living in anger that doesn't want to forgive leads to unbelief every time. Hatred which desires the physical and spiritual death of a sinning brother in Christ always leads to unbelief. And that is why Christ warns those who do not want to forgive. He warns those who want to push others out of the church or who want to just play nice. He warned them, saying everyone angry with his brother is liable to judgment. He's talking about the heart. He says whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool to his brother will be liable to the hell of fire. This is a dangerous game. And so our Lord continues. You have paid the last penny. So how are we to avoid our accuser? How are we to avoid... Let me put it this way. When we refuse to forgive our brother, he becomes our accuser. How are we then to avoid him handing us over to the judge on the final day and the judge to the guard and the guard put us in eternal prison? How are we to avoid this when our flesh craves to be seen good before men, craves to just play nice, and when we can't seem to get over our anger at our brother? Well, look at what we prayed for this morning. O Lord, graft into our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us true religion. Nourish us with all goodness. And of your great mercy, guard us in the goodness of that you've nourished in us. If we look to ourselves and our flesh to be forgiven, if we look to ourselves and our flesh to forgive others, or for anger to be dissipated, we won't be able to do it. We are capable only of the lower righteousness of the Pharisees. That is not enough. It does not solve those things. We need a different higher righteousness entirely. And to this our Lord says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What he is saying is that Christ, in his baptism of death on the cross, is he who has fulfilled all righteousness, he is the higher righteousness. A higher righteousness where he loved and obeyed God perfectly to the point of death, even death on a cross. A higher righteousness where Christ came to earth not to be angry with us and not to just play nice with us while we're headed toward hell, but he came and confronted us. He confronted our sin. He took our sin of anger and hatred, hatred and murderous words and died for our sins so that we might not die but live in him. This is the higher righteousness. It doesn't always look nice. But this is the higher righteousness of love, of mercy, of grace, and of sacrifice. Which confronts our sins, leads us to repentance, forgives us when we deserve no forgiveness at all. This is the higher righteousness by which we enter heaven. He earned it on the cross. And this is the righteousness which is implanted into our hearts in baptism. Where we are made brothers with one another in baptism. Where in baptism we're not to be nice to each other, but kind. Kind, which implies a kinship. Where we love the brother and want what's best for him. And that is the love of the divine name implanted in us. To have the righteousness of Christ crucified revealed to us on the cross and to have the love and righteousness implanted in our hearts so we may truly love God and our brothers for their good. To be nourished and guarded in all good things, as we prayed then, is to live and grow in this righteousness toward God and toward each other. To be guarded in this righteousness means asking our Father to keep us from anger and instead to show our brothers in Christ the same love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness that he showed us, even when it's hard. It means now, in Christ's righteousness, it is possible for us to do what Christ says. It is now possible for us to be reconciled with each other. Because in love, we confront our brother on his sins. Because we want to forgive him even when he doesn't deserve it. And we want him to forgive us even when we don't deserve it. So often we think, oh, we'll never resolve this. Don't doubt Christ's forgiveness. Don't doubt that it can reconcile you to your brother. Don't doubt that it can keep you together in one communion. That is the higher righteousness. It is the righteousness we receive from Christ which in his forgiveness allows us lovingly to confront our erring brothers, to forgive them, to be reconciled with them. I urge you, all of you who have been baptized, take Christ's words to heart. Don't try to settle sin and anger by being just nice. Don't in anger refuse to forgive your brother. Don't think that sin and anger will just go away with time or by ignoring it or by being nice. Confront each other in gentleness and love. Be eager and zealous to forgive each other and be forgiven by each other. Because Christ's forgiveness is the only way we are together. May God replace our anger with love. May He replace our being just nice with true kindness and forgiveness. And may we see the power of Christ's righteousness and forgiveness among us. And may we finally come together at this altar in a communion united in just that, Christ's forgiveness and righteousness. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord of all power and might, who is the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of your name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and of your great mercy, keep us in the same. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son, and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith, by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your Church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people and the gospel preached in all the world grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority especially to Joseph our president the congress of these united states kim our governor the legislature of this state and to all our judges and magistrates and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure to the maintenance of righteousness and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake. Comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work, and when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise, and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father. Almighty and everlasting God, Who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with Thy mighty power, And grant that this day we fall into no sin, Neither run into any kind of danger, But that all our doings, being ordered by Thy governance, May be righteous in Thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, Thy Son, our Lord, Who liveth and reigneth with Thee and the Holy Ghost, Ever one God, world without end, Amen. We give thanks unto Thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, Thy dear Son, that Thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech Thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please Thee. Into Thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls